platform workers, ushers, we appreciate your ministry this evening. Um, praise God. I am um, here by myself tonight. Um, please keep my wife in prayer. Um, I, I don't know, this baby might come in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> I don't know. So um, just, I, I told her, you need, you need a rest. Yeah. You know, get, get some energy. So if you do go into into labor, you have all the power in the world to be able to take that on. So praise God. Aren't you glad, men, that we're men? <laughs> praise God that all we have to do is believe God for our wives and be there to support them and just do the, the old back massage, you know, the... You guys, you fathers, you know what I'm talking about. You're just there. You're like, you got it, baby, got it. <laughs> Judges chapter 3, verses 15 through 23 is what we're going to be at uh, tonight. Judges 15, or Judges 3, verses 15 uh, through 23. Amen. There is um, a movie you might have seen before you were saved. Um, those teenagers, I'm sure you haven't seen them. It's called The Exorcism, um, rated probably one of the most scariest uh, movies out there. And there's obviously all kinds of different um, iterations of it. There's one called The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is actually based on a true story. It's about a girl possessed by a demon. And the whole thought, the whole theme is pretty simple. It's, it's usually somebody is demon-possessed and a bunch of Catholic priests that don't know what in the world they're doing, and they're trying to, they're trying to cast this demon out. Well, in this specific movie, it came a little bit different since it was based on a true story. And this girl doesn't get delivered. What ends up happening is they give her medication called Gambitrol. And the medicine did its job in a sense. It calmed her down, but it didn't deliver her. It caused a different problem. And that problem is what I'm going to call an artificial deliverance, maybe a temporary fix. This happens all the time with kids who are diagnosed with ADHD. They're prescribed Adderall, and it brings a temporary fix, but it doesn't fix anything else. And sometimes they don't even need to be fixed. They don't need medication, but this world loves to give temporary fixes. Our fellowship is known to be filled with preachers who preach on sin. This is the mark of our fellowship pastors. We don't shy away um, from preaching. Even ministries, I've told um, youth leaders before that get an expression of preaching. I tell them, you need to preach hard because the world preaches hard. That the schools preach hard, they preach lesbianism hard, they preach, they preach homosexuality hard, so you preach hard. So our fellowship is known for that. And the reason why is because we understand that we don't just want temporary fixes. That people aren't coming to church just to be temporarily fixed. We're not into giving gambitrols and Adderalls spiritually. We want people to be set free. And a lot of times, our breakthrough and our deliverance comes from things that we have hidden inside. See, a lot of people settle for stuff that makes them feel better, but it also prevents them from dealing firmly with deeply rooted issues. They're content to settle for short-term short -term solutions that provide temporary fixes, but don't get rid of the real problem. 
Tonight I have one challenge, one goal of my sermon, and that is that you will take a moment and begin to dig deep into your heart, allow God to dig deep into those crevices in the word we're going to use tonight as chambers to allow God to be able to take whatever is causing those addictions, those pains, what separates us from God. Judges chapter 3. Verses 15 through 23 says, And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And the Lord raised up from them a deliverer. Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes, and he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man, and when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence, and all his attendants went out of his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God from you. And he rose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And he hilt also went in, went in after the blade, and the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. Can you picture that? Sword went all the way in, kind of took every the whole sword in. He says, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. Now jump to verse 26. It says, Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with them from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to him, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites. All strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. The land had rest for 80 years. I want to preach a sermon. It's going to make sense. The title that I've given is called Secret Chambers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight, God, for being such a gracious God. I do not come in my talents or my abilities, Father, but I hide behind your cross. God, not my charisma, Father, but I pray that you will speak to every single one of us. God, we're not naive. We're not ignorant. We're not here to lie to you. We don't want to mock you. Father, we have secret chambers in our hearts that we need help with. And I pray that you will speak to every single one of us, God, to deal, God, with our Moabites, Father, to deal with our issues. Father, we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said tonight... Amen. I want to start off with my first thought, and that is Israel versus Moab. The book of Judges is written to show the consequences of disobedience towards God. Israel has always lived a life of contention. And the reason why is because they're always in and out of fellowship with God. Judges reveals that Israel began to disobey God. Israel was on a downward spiral in disobedience to God. They did evil on the side of the Lord. They served Eglon for 18 years. 
They were worse than their fathers, Judges 3.12. Once again, once again, I should tell you something, once again, the Israelite, Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Not because God is an evil God. Not because God likes to play games, but simply because they did evil. They, they would lose any dominion that was gained because of their inability to be faithful to God. So in our text, we have a few characters. We have a few subject characters. We have Israel, but then we have Moab. And the question you should ask yourself when reading, especially the Old Testament, is who is these people? Who is Moab? Moab's or the Moabites were descendants of Lot. This came out of the genealogy when Lot slept with his daughter. So incest is what is, was their genealogy. So Moab represented immorality, represented incest, incest represented uncleanliness. Moabites were an ungodly people who were a stumbling block for Israel. There's no reason or no doubt why here it is. Eglon was a representation of who Moab was. We read through the Bible that Moab was not to be in fellowship with God's people. Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 23 through 26 says, In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. See, that's a problem. It's a problem when your kids begin to speak like the world. It's a problem when your children begin to speak more like those that go to their school than those that go to their church. Verse 25, and I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair and I made them take an oath in the name of God saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for your sons. That's good discipleship right there. Yeah, y'all missed it, right? I'll read it once again. Verse 25, and I confronted them, I cursed them, I beat some of them and I pulled their hair. And I made them take an oath. In the name of God, saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourself. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. And he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Think about that. What an incredible statement. The point that they're making there is that there shouldn't be an association with Moabites. They will, they constantly made Israel sin. Numbers 25 verses 1 through 3, while Israel lived in Shidom, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. They, these invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked themselves to Baal. This word yoked isn't what you're thinking. It's not your breakfast sandwich. Yoke means that you begin to, it ties you together. Two animals are tied together in Spanish. It's, I just forgot it. Yugo. Um, it's when you tie both two animals together and they go one direction. This is where Jesus or, or Paul begins to say you cannot be unequally yoked. Because when you're tied together with somebody that's going in the opposite direction, someone's going to get hurt. 
Something is going to break. So here it is. It said they yoked themselves. They tied themselves with Baal of Peor. And the angel of the Lord was kindled against Israel. It was ticked off. Moabites were children of incest who followed a fertility god named Baal. Think about that. Children of incest who followed after a fertility god. That's wicked. This is the same tendency that we have while yet being in the flesh to follow after gods of perversion. We could speak about hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure at all cost. That somewhere when we're not saved, that's exactly who we were. We just wanted whatever made us feel good. Though we are children of a new heart, mind, and spirit, we're still entombed in these carnal carcasses. If you guys know, you still have to deal with your flesh. That although you do read your Bible, although you come to church and you have a different vocabulary now, there are things that you have to deal with in your flesh. Not every thought that goes through your mind is holy. Can I get one witness here tonight? One friend that will say, Pastor, I know what you're talking about. I'll help you out with this sermon tonight. One man said, not everybody speaks in tongues when they stump their toe. See, when you make provisions for the flesh, you begin to create secret chambers. Israel was serving Moab, and they lost dominion began to create these strongholds. And now you have the people of Israel serving a man named Eglon, which is a fat man, represents all kinds of different immoralities, all kinds of different indiscipline. Uh, you can speak, we can go on and speak about all the, um, all the different given into um, your, your flesh. But here it is, it has a secret chamber, and the way they gain dominion is for the man of God to step into that chamber that nobody can go to. There are people here tonight who are crying out to God for deliverance, but really that deliverance is a deliverance of your own flesh. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 20 says, For I do not understand my own actions. Maybe you guys can already agree with Paul there. For I do not... I, do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Do you know that here tonight? For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For, not, for I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. It's these secret chambers many times. Secret sin, if you will. Attitudes, things that you have to go deep into your heart to be able to get it out. I want to move on to my second thought, and that is judging Moab. There will come a time where the provision you've made for your flesh will begin to have lordship over your life. 
where that secret chamber, that pet sin, if you will, that you have, it'll gain dominion over your life. Instead of fighting all the servants, Ehud went straight to the source. You know, to destroy a bee colony, you have to get rid of the queen bee. You have to go to the source. Listen, you want deliverance, you have to go to the roots. Ehud made it to the private chamber of the king of Moab by the way of tribute. He says, I have a secret message for you. And that message was judgment. William Booth said, our reservations are the damnation of our consecrations. Somewhere, listen, beloved, that it is the place where you begin to compromise on your convictions. The place where you begin to say, you know what, no, it's okay. I can sin once. It's not going to hurt me. I'll repent later. Those very things are the things that will damn you to hell. So the question to be asked is what are those secret chambers in your life? To the deception of the secret chambers is that it doesn't dwell in the entire entirety of your house. That if you can keep it in a room, then it won't affect anything else. That you can get away with not dealing with your secret sin and not affect all your life. That's the deception. I ran into this illustration. It says, have you ever bitten into an apple and found a worm in it? And yet the outside of the apple showed no hole or entire or an entry point from the worm. So you begin to ask, how did the worm get inside the apple? Clearly he could not have burrowed in from the outside. Scientists have discovered that the worm can come from the inside. An insect lays an egg in the apple blossom and sometime later, the worm hatches in the heart of the apple, then it eats its way out. I believe sin is like this worm. It starts like a sin, something that was planted in there. It begins in the heart and it works out through a person's thoughts, words. Eventually begins to affect their actions, becomes their character, becomes their identity. That because it's just an area of your life, begin to think it won't affect it at all. Isn't that the deception? That you can be winning in the public but losing in the private. See, life is made up of private fights. Things that you have to deal with personally. Aren't you glad, aren't you glad for the Bible? That we get insight into this fight. But this fight was private. Ehud had to hide sneaks in there, says, I got a secret message for you. He's a left-handed man, which kind of equals a deception because most people are right-handed. So here it is, this man walks in there. And most commentators, you know, most commentators say that, that, um, that Eglon, the king, him closing himself up and removing everybody out from the room was actually his perversion. They think that he was trying, he thought that this guy was going to try to sleep with him. Kings don't just leave by themselves like that. They don't just leave themselves by like, like that. So commentators say that, you know what, he thought that something was going to go down between these guys. But here it is, this man of God, he went into the secret chamber and deals with them. 
See, victory against the Moabites was acquired by dealing with this one issue in the private. Can I tell you the victory of our church is going to happen in the private of your life? We have battles that we fight together as a church. We have battles that we're going to come together and corporately pray about it. We're going to fast. But the nucleus of the victory of our church will come through you winning your battles at home. For you, through you being able to be this ehud and stepping into the secret chambers of your heart. Stepping into the secret chambers of your family, your home, and being able to say, no, we are going to serve God in judging the spirit of Moab in your home. Judging Moab in your heart. The spirit of lust, lawlessness, perversion, just shooting off the hip, just whatever makes me happy. The spirit of laziness, gluttony. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm just, I'm going to serve God my own way. That's what Moab represents. I'm going to create my own God. See, victory against the Moabites was acquired by dealing with this one man. This one issue. I'm going to close them at their point. And that is the victory. Judges chapter 3, verses 26 through 30. Let's read it one more time. It says, Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived, the sound, uh, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to him, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him and seized the fords of Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. Verse 29, and they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest. Say with me, rest. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, rest. They had rest for 80 years because they were able to deal and judge the Moabites. See, victory comes through a sincere confession in what ultimately is the way we war against our own selves, which is repentance of sin. See, sin will continue to grow if you don't repent from it. There's people here tonight that don't doubt it. In a group this size, you've been hiding things. And it might not even be this evil intention to hide. You just don't know how to deal with it. You don't know. Maybe it might be shame. It might be embarrassment. Maybe you don't have relationships in a way that you can open up. But you've been holding on to this very thing, and it's created this stronghold. And like the people of Israel, now you got a man who represents sin living in the secret chamber that nobody can go into. Well, God wants to raise a deliverer this, this evening. He wants to make you ehud and be able to go into that place and begin to judge it. Sin thrives in an atmosphere of, of exclusivity, of, hit, of isolation and being hidden, darkness. 
You know, with victory comes influence. Those who've been delivered from Moab have the ability to encourage and lead others to deliverance. This is a dynamic that happens when people get saved. They, they get converted. They're able to talk to somebody else because they've dealt with their own sin. And people can see that. They can see they've had dominion. They got the victory. And that inspires others. Those who have secret chambers, if you're listening to me tonight, those who have these secret chambers, the secret sin, they lack boldness to lead others. And it's no wonder because somewhere it begins to eat them from the inside. Rather, make rather what they'll do is they'll make concessions for those who are struggling. It's okay, bro, you're just like me. See, the peace and rest comes with judging Moab in your life. There's people here today, I have one word for you, and that's repentance. You need to repent. Repentance fixes everything. This means tonight, it doesn't matter how big your eaglon is. It doesn't matter how many years he's been living up there and how many dominions he claims to have. Repentance fixes everything. You can be set free here tonight. Doesn't matter the lines you've crossed. It doesn't matter the sins that you commit. Doesn't matter what lifestyle it is. You might be telling yourself, how can God love me? It's not the same. My sin is different than others. Listen, it doesn't matter. There is not a sin in this world that God doesn't have dominion over. That God can't set you free from. In our scripture, we see there was a period of 80 years of peace. That's incredible. This is the result of you dealing with those secret chambers in your life. My challenge to you tonight is that you will repent of your sin. Some people, this is why they don't have peace in their life. Because they're not willing to deal with themselves. There's other people, listen, you've been saved a long time. And I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying I'm perfect. But the reason why you're here for a long time is because you've always gotten right with God. You've always came to a place of repentance. You've always came to a place. Isn't that King David? King David, think about it, an adulterer and a murderer, but a man after God's own heart. A man who will always come to a place of repentance. Repentance, by definition, is a change of mind and a change of heart. It comes from a Greek word, which is metanoia, which means your mind just transforms. You don't look at things the same anymore. There's, a, there's testimonies here tonight. You used to be you used to smoke weed. You were addicted to it. Then you came to the house of God. You repented, set free. Now you don't even like the smell of it. Your heart's changed. Your mind's changed. And that's not the only thing. There's so many other things that we can talk about. But my challenge to you tonight is that you will take the form of Ehud, form of the deliverer that God raised and say, I am going to go into the secret chamber. And like this man, I'm going to have a sword in my right thigh. And I'm going to look at my sin. I'm going to look at my eaglon. I'm going to look at him. And I'm going to tell him, I have a secret message for you. And he will thrust that sword the way he did to a point where he lost grip of it. That's how far he How many of you guys know he was intentional with it? I mean, he went in there and said, I'm making sure this guy's going to die. I'm making sure that he's not going to come back anymore. 
And then he jumps out of that window. <laughs> and he goes into the people of God and said, listen, victory is ours. I wonder if there's anybody that said, how do you know? Ehud could say, oh, I know. I just killed him. I just killed the head honcho of him. That's what we need to do tonight. That's the spirit that we need. And if we're going to continue to grow, we're going to continue to have victory. We're going to continue to have breakthrough in our church. It's going to come through us individually winning our battles. Can I get every head bowed and every eye closed? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Listen, this isn't only true. This is a truth that you see throughout, throughout life. In any corporate setting, any clubs, you can think about sports teams, that you do have a name that you commonly associate yourself with. We are the Potter's House, a spring branch under Christian Fellowship Ministries. We serve one God. But listen, when you put on that jersey, when you put on that name of Jesus Christ, that means that you're going to fight your battle with that person in front of you. Same way a lineman lines up with his team. And when the ball, the ball is spiked, he gets up, he puts his hands on the person in front of him. It's his responsibility. There's people here tonight, listen, we love you. God loves you. But you need to deal with the things in your heart. Maybe you're here tonight, you're not saved, you're not right with God. If you were to die at this moment, heaven will not be your home. But you want to change that, you want to give your life to Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand? God's dealing with you. There are things you want to repent. You know if you were to stand in front of a holy God, that you know that God wouldn't allow you to come in because there's just things that's separating you from him. You don't have a relationship with him. You know about him, but your heart is far from him. Quickly, you want to get right with God. You're saying, preacher, you're saying, Pastor Renee, I need, I need Jesus. I'm done living that, the life that I'm living. I want to give my life completely to Jesus. Maybe you haven't surrendered. The word surrender means to give up your rights to your life. You're saying, you know what, I want to give, I want to surrender to Christ. That's you. Would you lift your hand? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you tonight. Maybe you're backslidden, a person who used to be right with God, but today you're far from him. You want to reconcile your relationship with Christ. Would you raise your hand here tonight? I see that hand in honest hearts. Anybody else, God's dealing with you. Very well. If you raise your hand, would you look up at me? Did you mean that? I believe you did. Why don't you come forward? What are you an altar worker here tonight? Just one, one person, one sister. Amen. Praise God. I want to change the order of the service. I want to speak to Christians. I need one more altar worker here. I want to speak to the church. Listen, beloved, the book of Judges is an incredible reflection that I don't just think it's a reflection of Israel. I think it's a reflection of humanity. Always finding ourselves in trouble. John Calvin said our heart is an idol factory. It's always a new idol it's trying to produce. 
always something new we're trying to run to. Maybe you're here tonight and God spoke to you clearly about some sin, some attitude, a stronghold that's in there, unbelief, skepticism, somewhere some type of weakness, some type of weak point that hell has found into your life. And he's letting you know if you keep on making provisions for that, you keep justifying that, it's going to become something bigger. Deal with it. Judge the spirit of Moab. I want to encourage you here tonight, church, people of God, man of God, woman of God, disciple here tonight, that you will repent and seek the crevices of your heart and say, God, search deep in there and let me know if there's anything that's separating me from you and help me to deal, deal with myself, deal with that sin. Let's all stand up to our feet. I want to encourage you, listen, these altars are open. Let's come, let's come do some business with God. Isaiah 1, God is speaking to Israel. And he says, come and reason with me. He's speaking about taking their sin away. He says, I will take the crimson red stain and turn it white as snow. Come and reason with me. That's exactly what some of us need to do is come and talk to God. Come and reason. God, I, I don't know what's going on. I, I need your help. Show me, reveal to me, help me to repent. Hallelujah. Let's sing out this song tonight.